and pro. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. It was a song that came out of the 1970s, a group I think called the Rolling Stones. And they sang, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't, I can't get no satisfaction, but I tried and I tried. Author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Are you open-minded? Is it a good thing to be open-minded? No one wants to be said to be closed-minded. But is it a good thing to be open-minded? And what does it mean to be open-minded? Are there issues on which reasonable minds can differ? What do you make when Joe Biden said, I follow truth, not facts? I thought facts were what led us to truth. So what does it mean, I follow truth, not facts? Does it have something to do with how I define what truth is? Does that mean truth is my opinion? And if truth is my opinion, then what is truth? Everything that I believe, everything opinion that I have is truth? Here's the question that I have for you. Are you willing to be wrong? In fact, that's a question that we all should ask of ourselves. Am I willing to be wrong. Now, the problem with that, as you can well understand, is that there's so many ways that we can be persuaded. When the prophet Jeremiah tells us that the heart of man is desperately wicked, who can know it? That tells us we have a problem with our thinking. Our thinking is coming out of our hearts, and our hearts are not sound. They're not totally reliable. And depending upon what we put into our minds that filters down into our hearts, through our ears and through our mouths, it may color dramatically whether we're right or whether we're wrong. Stubbornness, it is said, actually, according to the scriptures, is akin to witchcraft. You can read that there in the book of Samuel, where Samuel the prophet went to the first king of Israel, and he said that stubbornness is as the sin of witchcraft. So what does it mean to be firm, to have a firm stand? And is it possible to have a firm stand and yet be standing on unstable ground. We want to take a look at some of these things here today on Viewpoint. It might be a bit mind-boggling, mind-bending, and heart-mending right here today on Viewpoint. And so I welcome you to the program. I'm Chuck Chris Myers, conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. I'm looking at the latest issue of the Epoch Times. 
Under the mind-body section is a headline that says this, Why thinking like an open-minded scientist is good for you. Thinking like an open-minded scientist is good for you. Well, the presumption of this statement is that scientists are open-minded. Well, they should be open-minded because that's what science calls for. You have theories and you're willing to change your mind based upon the facts as they become known. But how about if you're so firmly set as a so-called scientist on what you think you believe, that in reality you're not open-minded at all. In fact, you've already predetermined the result of whatever tests or whatever investigations you're doing. That's the problem that we have with the whole COVID situation, isn't it? We're discovering more and more that following the science doesn't mean much of anything because the so-called science we thought was pretty firm, pretty trustworthy, and now we're discovering it ain't true at all. It's not trustworthy at all. In fact, we're finding that things that scientists have told us, that is, represented experts in the medical field and in other fields, epidemiologists and so on, we're finding out that they change their opinions frequently. And then they try to rationalize their new opinion as if somehow it is a declaration of truth that we should rely upon. Nothing could be further from the truth. And yet it seems that they're not really willing to admit they're wrong. Why is that? It's because they are purported to be experts. We're living in a world of so-called experts. We have all kinds of experts. We have criminal experts. We have uh, uh, medical experts. We have economic experts. We have religious experts. Everybody has to be an expert. And then you're led to believe that you can only trust the experts. What you don't realize, what many of us do not realize is the experts have ulterior motives. They're not necessarily basing their so-called opinions, their expert opinions, on facts. It's a mixture of facts and uh, agendas and uh, the money that's flowing behind the scenes and a predetermined uh, outlook that you think might be favorable and so on. So many things go into the so-called expert advice. I'll never forget one of the cases that I held, and I didn't handle very many criminal cases, but in this particular instance, as a trial attorney, I had handled a number of civil matters for this particular family, and then they brought to me the case of a young man who was charged with burglary. And so I read the police report, and according to the police report, it was a slam-dunk case against my client. So I decided I'm going to go to the location and I'm going to personally look at the circumstances, the scene there, to see what other viewpoint might come from a realistic look at the scene. When I went to the scene, it was obvious that what the police report had said 
could not be true. It wouldn't even be a matter of opinion. It wouldn't be a matter of an expert opinion because the facts were totally contrary to what the police report indicated. So we went to the preliminary hearing, and the police officers, remember, they're experts. They came on and gave their testimony, and then I began to cross-examine them. In the cross-examination, it only took about 10 minutes to reveal that these officers had fabricated this report. Totally fabricated it. It was not what it purported to be, and they purported to be the experts. And they purported also to be at least the witnesses that could be believed upon as to the facts of the scene. But the facts did not correspond to what they said. And I will never forget it. When that judge, in anger, lifted up his gavel and slammed it on the uh, desk and said, case dismissed, he was so angry with these police officers. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is not about police officers. It's about the problem with trusting experts and also the matter of opinion. Many of us form opinions that really are not true at all. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and today we're taking a look at the matter of truth and opinion and viewpoints and so on, because this is very, very critical. Not all viewpoints are created equal. Now, it is true that all viewpoints determine destiny. In one way or another, your viewpoint determines destiny. Your viewpoint on a particular set of facts will determine destiny. In fact, those police officers' viewpoint put in their police report would have determined the destiny of my client and put him in prison probably for 10 years for burglary if I had not gone to investigate the facts. Here's our problem. We don't investigate the facts. In fact, Joe Biden says, I follow truth, not facts. Try to get your mind around that. The presumption of what he said is that if I believe something or I say something, it is the truth, and I don't care about the facts. Really? Yet facts are evidence. Now, how we look at the facts and whether we have all the facts affects whether or not we have the truth and what we believe from those facts. I'm looking right now at a picture. This came from the trial there in Minneapolis. It is a picture of the brother of George Floyd. He became very emotional 
on Monday as he testified in the trial of his uh, of the police officer Derek Chauvin, uh, who has been charged with murder. I believe second degree murder. So the picture is of George Floyd's brother lifting his glasses and wiping his eyes because of tears that have come in his eyes. Now, it came from a situation where the state law in Minnesota allows for what they call spark of life testimony during the trial. Spark of life. In other words, this was about trying to convince the jury through emotionalism to divert the jury from facts that are being discussed or from opinions by experts that were being discussed and to cause them now to move from analysis within their own minds and hearts as to facts and opinions of experts to now be emotionally moved because George Floyd's brother is crying. Now, I don't blame him for crying. That's not the problem. Why wasn't he crying when George Floyd was committing the various crimes that he had been committing throughout his life? Where were the tears then? Where were the tears when George Floyd was on drugs over and over again and fentanyl? Why wasn't he crying then? You see, the problem is tears come very easily when we're in an emotional situation but they can be used manipulatively. I don't fault the man for crying. But it was being used manipulatively. That's why the state law had to expressly allow this kind of spark-of-life testimony. Because normally it would not be allowed. Why? Because it diverts the attention, the attention of the jury away from truth. Whether George Floyd's brother feels badly about the death of his brother has absolutely zero impact on whether or not George Floyd was murdered by a police officer. The only issue is, was George Floyd murdered? And so I ask you the question, was George Floyd murdered? If you say yes, my next question is, on what basis do you conclude that? On the basis of the video that you saw? That CNN or uh, MSNBC or whatever showed over and over again to try to convince America that it was another racist crime? They didn't show the whole thing. Did you know that? They didn't show the whole thing. You know why? Because they didn't want you to see all of it. They didn't want to see you to see the context that led up to the confrontation between the police officer putting his knee either on the neck or the shoulder of George Floyd. The next question is, did the police officer put his knee on the neck of George Floyd? You were told that that was the case. 
We were all told that that was the case. And in fact, it appeared from our eyeballs looking at the video that that was the case. But then another expert came along and said, no, that's not what happened. He actually had his knee on the shoulder. That would make a huge difference, wouldn't it? Concerning whether or not he could breathe or not breathe because of the officer's knee. Why do I bring these things up? Because we are being led like the Pied Piper to all kinds of false conclusions and beliefs that are making a mockery, a mockery of our supposed desire and intent to live according to truth. The reality is we're not so much interested in truth, are we? What we're really interested in is how do I feel? Even within our churches, feelings now trump the faith and facts. It's all, how do you feel? So feelings become the final arbiter of so-called truth, when in fact they may have absolutely nothing to do with the truth. Let me give you another illustration. There was an undercover video that was released by Project Veritas showing that CNN technical director Charlie Chester revealed how the network, that is CNN, purposely painted Joe Biden in a positive light to get Donald Trump out of office. You didn't know that, did you? I didn't know that. Are we willing to have our minds changed when CNN tells us they tell us only the truth? When the majority of people in the country are not watching Fox News or not watching uh, uh, Newsmax, but are watching CNN or MSNBC and so on, thinking that they're legitimate news media telling us the truth, when in fact, we now know that that's not true at all. In fact, this Charlie Chester, technical director for CNN, can be seen on video admitting that CNN worked to make Trump look unfit for office while simultaneously portraying Biden as a healthy to combat fears uh, the 78-year-old was not holding up to the presidency. In fact, he bragged, look what we did. We CNN got Trump out, he said. And I'm 100% going to say it, and I 100% believe that if it wasn't for CNN, I don't know that Trump would have gotten voted out. He also detailed bringing in medical people to tell a story that was all speculation about Trump's handshaking. He said we were creating a story there that we didn't know anything about. And then he said, that's what? I think that's propaganda. Now, we don't want to go into all the rest of the details there. He said nobody ever says these things out loud. But he got caught. And now CNN 
is painted for what it really is. It's not an engine of truth. It's not an engine of reliable news. Rather, it is merely a intentional propagation, a, 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 a machine uh, of propaganda. It's not a news organization at all. It just uses the news to manipulate the minds and hearts of we the people. A report came from Arut Sheva, Israel National News Today, from the Knesset speaker. Our resurrection is the embodiment of historic justice. What's he talking about? This is Israel's Independence Day. Starting this evening, the 73rd Independence Day of Israel becoming a nation. So, the... Knesset speaker says, our resurrection as Israel is the embodiment of historic justice. Is that true? Well, it depends on who you talk to, I guess. If you talk to the Arabs, they'll say absolutely not. That we owned Israel. That we owned Palestine. In fact, to this very day, Ahmoud Abbas continues to paint Israel as nothing but an intruder on land, property owned by the Palestinians. So whether or not this is the embodiment of historic justice is a matter of opinion. But opinion based on what? You see, opinion has to be based on something. Your opinion has to be based on something. My opinion has to be based on something. If it's not based on facts, it's based on feelings or some other person's opinion. But how about the Bible? Is the Bible trustworthy on which to base your conclusion That the resurrection of Israel is the embodiment of historic justice? Now you've got something to talk about. But what if you don't believe that the Bible is true? What if you just believe that it's uh, a set of fairy tales? Or what if you just believe that it's uh, it really isn't historical facts and the true word of God, it's just uh, literature? Take it or leave it, literature. Depending upon how you believe about the Bible is going to determine what your conviction or belief is as to whether or not the resurrection of Israel is the embodiment of historic justice. And words are cheap. Have you noticed that? Just listen to what happens every day coming out of the White House. Cheap words. Nothing behind them. Has Kamala Harris made her way to the southern border yet? Even though a month ago she was charged with a responsibility by Joe Biden to be, to head up the effort to, uh, deal with the issue down there? No, she says she has no intention. Today she says she has no intention of going to the border. So you could base your viewpoint on what Joe Biden said 
or you can base your viewpoint on actions, what really happens. As the Bible says, by their fruit, you shall know them. By their fruit, you shall know them. Or actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. In the law, we have a phrase that uh, virtually every law student learns very quickly, and that is that there are matters or issues upon which reasonable minds can differ. Issues upon which reasonable minds can differ. Now, can reasonable minds differ on whether or not human beings are chargeable before God for their whether or not they believe and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and that there's a judgment day in which they will be held to account. Can reasonable minds differ on that? Well, it depends on what you call a reasonable mind. If a reasonable mind is one that believes that the Bible is true and that it is the Word of God, then it's no reasonable mind can differ on that very issue. But if you don't believe the Bible is true, or you're an atheist, you could have another opinion. Does that mean the opinion is true? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why? Because our hearts are desperately wicked. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. Today on Viewpoint, we're attempting to discuss discernment between that which is true and that which is false, between opinion and truth. And what's the difference? The question is, are you willing to be wrong? Am I willing to be wrong? I got to tell you, there's so many things. In fact, we'll, we'll get to a couple of things in the final segment of the program here. Things that I discovered that I was wrong on concerning even theological matters. What the Bible said. Why was I wrong? Because I had been taught wrongly. And I believed what the so-called experts or authorities taught. But they were wrong. And I had to discover that, and it was very painful to discover it because it meant I had to change my thinking. I had to reassess if I was going to be honest and a Christian of total integrity, 
I would have to agree with what the Bible said rather than what anybody else said, no matter what a famous man or famous preacher or whatever had to say about it. Now, this kind of thing affects every single area of our lives. And it's affecting us the more so. Just imagine why a thousand major corporations in America would line up now to supposedly oppose voter restrictions. That's what they say. They're opposing voter restrictions. It all began with the legislation down there in Georgia. Well, guess what? They, I doubt that they've even read that legislation. Because the reality, if you've been listening, the reality is that the legislation in Georgia is not that restrictive at all. In fact, the legislation and standard for voting restrictions in Denver or in Colorado is more restrictive than Georgia, and yet that's where the, the uh, Major League Baseball decided to shift its final game, the All-Star game. They're making themselves out to be fools. Why are they doing it? There are ulterior motives. It has nothing to do with truth. It has absolutely nothing to do with truth or reality. It has to do with other reasons why. It has nothing to do with voter restrictions. It has to do with not wanting to become a target of the radical, unreasonable, unrighteous carrying on of, uh, of those who are seeking to destroy the foundations of this country. And these corporations don't want to get caught in the cross, crosshairs. So they're doing, they're, they're capitulating to whether you want to call it wokeness, you want to call it political correctness. It has nothing to do with truth. Nothing to do with truth. And you and I have to discern the difference between the motivations. You say, well, how are we supposed to discern motivations? Well, we have to look at the, at the reality. We have to look at what the, the, uh, the facts are. Not what people say, what the facts really are. Another issue coming out with these uh, uh, several police officer shootings in Minneapolis and I think one other place, uh, they're talking about stripping away qualified immunity from police officers. Yet a liberal attorney, renowned liberal attorney, Harvard attorney, Alan Dershowitz, said yesterday, stripping qualified immunity from police officers is an outrage. I agree with him that that's an opinion. Why is it an outrage? Because if you're going to hold police officers absolutely strictly liable for every action and every consequence, you're not going to have any more police officers. You're just not. They're going to leave, and they are leaving. 
we are completely undermining all trust in our society. And trust is a very uh, sensitive thing. It takes a long time to gain trust. But what these various groups are doing through their carrying on of, yes, riots. They're not demonstrations, they're riots. We need to call them what they are, they're riots. Stop playing the word game, they're riots. And so we're going to capitulate to riots. And in the process, unwittingly, completely pull the rug out from under the entire culture and our ability to survive. And lawlessness will increase, just as the Scripture says would happen just before the second coming of Christ. Yesterday, an expert for the defense blamed George Floyd's death on a heart rhythm problem not on the law enforcement officer. In fact, he went on to say that the, the, he would classify the manner of death undetermined rather than homicide. Why? Because there are too many factors such as extreme fentanyl levels in his body that it by themselves could kill him and would cause him to be unable to breathe. Then he had an enlarged heart. He had high blood pressure. Compounded by his drug use, the vehicle exhaust, and a tumor or growth in his lower abdomen. You didn't know about some of those things, did you? Yet you formed opinions. You see, we're not willing to wait until we hear the facts, until we have more evidence. We need to be more discerning, my friend, much more discerning. We need to be lovers of truth, not capitulators to so-called experts and others' opinions. The city manager in Minnesota was fired because he said cops were entitled to due process. He was fired for saying that a police officer is entitled to due process. That's all he said, which was true. But they didn't want to hear the truth. Why didn't the city manager want to hear the truth? I mean, why didn't the mayor want to hear the truth? Because he had ulterior motives. He thought that by saying the truth, that the police officer was entitled to due process just like anybody else, that that might lead to more violence. So he has to fire the city manager who told the truth in an honest and, and uh, not emotional way because truth was not welcome. Did you notice that?
have in front of me an interesting article. Alligators have been practically unchanged since the time of dinosaurs, and there's a reason. They will survive a long time, and there aren't many animals able to prey on them. So humans are really their only uh, predator, so to speak. But in South Carolina, euthanizing nuisance alligators outside of hunting season is is, is permitted. So a massive 12-foot-long, 445-pound alligator ended up being bagged in Charleston County. But what was freakier than the alligator's size was what was in the belly of the beast. According to the butchers who sliced this alligator open, they found five dog tags in the stomach, including one verified to be decades old. Two were still able to be read in spite of the stomach acid. They were able even to contact one of the dog's owners, who said he had had a lease near the property where the alligator was killed and lost his hunting dogs there. And even stranger, there were also remains from other animals in the alligator, including a bobcat. He said, we don't usually open up the stomach, but we did today. Five dog tags, one bullet jacket, one spark plug, loads of turtle shells, and several bob claw, bobcat claws were inside. You say, well, why are you talking about this? Well, here's the deal. The reality is, when our minds and hearts are really opened up, oh my goodness, what's in there would be shocking. What's in there would be shocking. And that's why Jeremiah said the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? As Christians, friends, if anybody is called to have a discerning mind and heart amid all the issues of our time, it's we. But how do we apply that when it comes to things like abortion? Here's the report that came a couple of days ago. Cardinal Burke says that pro-abortion politicians are in apostasy and should be automatically excommunicated. What do you say? Is that truth? Is it an opinion? Is it biblical or contrary to the Bible? What do you say? We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? 
Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Again, today we're talking about this matter of our viewpoints, how we form opinions, whether or not they're based upon truth, what what kind of motivations lead us to opinions that may or may not be true? Are there issues upon which reasonable minds can differ and others upon which no reasonable mind can differ, in which we have to have other ulterior motives in order to justify our position on a particular issue? Christians, of all people, should be the most discerning people on the planet. We should be. How many times have you heard somebody use the phrase, well, he or she is a committed Christian? I can't tell you how many times I've heard that over the past 50 years. A committed Christian. What is a committed Christian? What definition would you give to a committed Christian? How do you know what the definition would be in the mind and heart of the one who said those words? How would we know whether somebody was a committed Christian or not enough to, at least for reasonable purposes as a Christian, discern the truth or lack thereof of the statement? Well, the Bible says, by their fruit you shall know them. Are there life ways? Is their speech, the way they conduct their business, the way they conduct conduct their family, are all of these things in alignment with what the Bible has to say? Or does just making a confession of Christ sometime in their past make them a committed Christian? That's not a committed Christian at all. Because words are cheap. In fact, Jesus actually said, by their words you shall know them, by your words you should be justified, and by your words you should be condemned. So how about Cardinal Burke? He said, pro-abortion politicians are in apostasy and automatically excommunicated. Is he right or wrong? Is a position biblical or not? You see, now we have to make a decision not culturally based, but based upon the Bible. Because the matter of abortion and being excommunicated has to do with the relationship between the choice of abortion or the support of abortion and what God has to say, and whether or not one can appropriately be included in the designation of a committed Christian in the church. So, Cardinal Burke said the bishops should not 
dialogue with or congratulate someone who has publicly betrayed the church's teaching and who is leading others astray. It's an embarrassment and a scandal for the bishops to continue to allow him, that is Joe Biden, to receive Holy Communion. He goes on to say the bishop's lack of clarity in this regard is a terrible scandal in itself and probably greatly contributed to the possible election of a pro-abortion anti-Catholic Catholic to the presidency. The bishop should have spoken out against Biden's pro-abortion stance collectively. But again, they were overwhelmingly and shamefully silent. Because of this, they will be at least partly responsible for the policies advanced by a Biden administration in the event that Biden is sworn into office. Well, he has been. Archbishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas, said, A dark cloud has descended on this nation because of the slaughter of innocents by abortion for all the nine months of pregnancy as supported by the Biden-Harris administration. Do you agree or disagree? If you disagree, on what basis? What authority do you disagree? Your feelings or your faith? And on which, what basis is your faith established? Is it based upon your feelings or is it based upon what the Bible says? The same would be true with regard to the matter of divorce, wouldn't it? The church seems to have taken historically a pretty strong stand with regard to the homosexual issue up until the last five years. And now the church is capitulating on that as well. But since the late 1960s and early 1970s, when no-fault divorce entered into the culture, through Ronald Reagan, by the way, the church has gradually capitulated to embrace divorce as a given and not see it as a sin. Yet... We quote the Bible when it says, What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. It's in our vow. That's what God said. The Jewish leaders came to Jesus and tested him on this, the lawyers, and they said, well, is it lawful for a man to divorce his spouse for any reason? He said, look, don't you know that from the very beginning it was not so? For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Isn't that what the Bible says? Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Then also came the remarriage issue after divorce, if your spouse was still living. The church began to reason, well, God wants you happy rather than he wants you holy. So we began to make decisions. Churches, pastors, denominations began to form viewpoints. What did they form the viewpoints on? Not what the Bible said, but on how they felt and what the culture was saying. 
and they didn't want to disappoint and disagree with the culture because they wanted to win the culture. And if they took a stand that was contrary to the culture that was inaugurating remarriage, which is basically serial adultery, serial adultery, then what will we do with our ministries, they thought. So they decided to change their viewpoints. In fact, the historic viewpoints. Jesus said, whoever divorces their spouse causes him to commit adultery. And whoever marries the one so divorced commits adultery. So what do you say? What's your viewpoint? What is your discerning decision with regard to the issue? So we reason, well, God doesn't know my situation, or God doesn't know my child's situation, or God doesn't know this, or God doesn't know that. Oh, he doesn't? I thought we admitted that God was omniscient, omnipresent, that he knows everything. You see how we play games with the truth? There are issues upon which reasonable minds can differ, but not those on which God has spoken. One of the things that I had to really deal with myself, I was raised in a pastor's home, exposed to some of the most famous evangelists of the time. And almost universally, they embraced what is called a pre-tribulation rapture. And so, I believe that was true. Did I investigate it? No. I just believed that's that's what they say, that's what they believe, so it must be true. Then about 15, 18 years ago, I began to do some personal searching of the scriptures, serious searching of the scriptures. I had to be willing to be wrong. I had to be willing to be wrong, no matter what the cost. The same was true with regard to the divorce and remarriage issue. And it has cost me and my family thousands of dollars, maybe more than that. Willingness to be wrong. And to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, no matter what anybody else says. And then I discovered I could find no place in the Bible that affirmed with any degree of clarity a pre-trib rapture. None. And so I began to explore that with some of the other major prophecy so-called experts. Had them on the program over the years and asked them specifically, is there any place in the Bible that specifically, clearly sets forth a pre-trib rapture? And every one of them said no. Every one of them said no. So I said, well, why is it then that you teach and preach it as if it's true, as if it's an absolute? And the answer, well, I just believe it. Why do you just believe it? Well, there are reasons, friends. There are reasons why someone would easily believe it, 
and why they would tell other people because, I tell you, it attracts vast numbers of people and the monies that flow with it. You're telling people what they want to hear. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul warned about. The era of itching ears. And all of this began in the early 1900s. Through the Schofield Reference Bible. Another area in which I was had to be taken to the spiritual woodshed by the Holy Spirit was with regard to the matter of Pentecost and the matter of the so-called baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I do believe that we receive the Holy Spirit upon conversion who will lead us into all truth, but then Jesus also talks about a further empowering by the Holy Spirit. He mentioned that to his disciples in the book of Acts. He said, don't, don't even leave this place until you be endued with power by the Holy Spirit. Don't even try to evangelize. Don't try to minister. Don't try to do anything. And the longer I studied it, the more I began to realize, what have I been missing out on? What have I communicated to others unwittingly that has kept them from being empowered to do the work of the Lord in ways beyond what our natural mind and heart can do. And I had to be willing to be wrong. And I was wrong until God made it right to reveal by his Holy Spirit. Look, you and I cannot do, cannot fulfill God's purposes for our lives, especially now in these times on the near edge of the second coming, unless we are truly endued with power from on high in ways beyond which most so-called committed Christians have ever experienced. How about you? Are you willing to be wrong? Are you willing to be wrong? Maybe there's some other issue that you're dealing with. These are times that are testing us, friends. You might want to consider getting a copy of the book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. It's an $18 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org. It deals with a lot of different kinds of issues. A lot of things. Hundreds of them. 